Good morning, Idaho. Hope you're having a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Local Yokel Idaho Podcast, where we talk about what is going on in the wonderful state of Idaho. Today, we have a fun one, looking over the election results for Idaho that happened this last week on Tuesday, talking about SAD. No, that's not actually the word SAD, SAD. It's an acronym, S-A-D, for a weather-affected medical condition that Idaho surprisingly dodges. A floating golf green, plus so much more in the cookie, so please stay with us here. Hey, glad to have you here today with us. Please join me for the morning banter where I chat with you guys a little bit before we get into it. But I understand if you're short on time and prefer to skip the banter, you can use the timestamp that's down in the description to jump straight over to the stories. With that said, for all of you that did stay, I hope you all had a wonderful week. I most certainly did. It actually was very, very nice compared to the last couple weeks that have just been crazy after my trip. But it still isn't even over yet. A little bit of a hint of something to talk about later here in the banter. But before we get into some other stuff, we have John, my incredible producer, who is co-hosting with me here again today. Hey, Tyler. It's good to be here. Glad to have you back. It's been awesome that we've been so consistent with having you on. You know, there's something about being healthy and uh, having a plan that really helps with that. <laughs> I was just about to ask you, the last couple of uh, times we've recorded, you have been fighting off something or getting into it or something. Are you finally over that hill? I think so. I think so. I think the family's finally healthy. Well, I, I mean, yeah, we're a, we're a big family, so of course. But, you know, as it is for now, we're we're all healthy. I'm healthy, feeling good. I mean, it is the human condition for that cycle when it comes to colds and things. The day they, they solve the common cold will be the day that Christ, I think, comes back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think that's about right. <laughs> Pretty close to the mark there. So That's keeping funny. with last episode and the tradition that I'm sharing and wanting to start with you all here on the podcast, which is for each episode that we have this month for the month of November, I and whoever is joining me will be sharing something we are thankful for in our lives over the last year. Also, if any of you want to reach out to me and let me know of something you're thankful for, I am more than happy to read it here on the show. Or if you want to, you know, email, text is fine, right, you know, and all that. Or if you want to try to send an audio file, more than welcome to play that here on the show. With that said, this week, I would like to share that I am thankful for the community and the area I've gotten to grow up in, especially here in Idaho, that the different churches and then my family and different things that have pushed me to grow, even when I may not want to, and also have kind of a safe and loving community to grow up in. And the level of courtesy that people can give here in Idaho and how kind that they can be, especially just as a young kid being able to go out to the park and talk with strangers. And I don't have to worry about it because it's Idaho and all the joys that come with that. But with that said, what are you thankful for, John? Well, so I was thinking about it and I was cutting together a YouTube video earlier today. And I mean, it, it might be kind of a cop out, but <laughs> I am I am very thankful to all of the people that put uh, tutorials and things on YouTube because <laughs> that's how I learned to do everything. And in, you know, in relation to that, because I I'm cutting together videos and stuff, I'm thankful for the opportunities that I'm that I'm finding, whether it's 
editing your show, whether it's editing my videos, whether it's recording and editing audiobooks, or whether it's doing the same engineering work I've been doing for the last decade, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm realizing that that I'm that in all facets of my professional life right now, I am producing a product that needs to be consumed. And so I'm working a lot on learning how to how to make that product as good as it can be so that people actually want to consume it. The the presentation so, of it? Well, either either the presentation of it or the product itself. I want to make the product as good as it can be. And so it's, you know, I'm I'm enjoying the the skills that I am learning and the and the I don't know, the abilities that I am gaining. <laughs> Hashtag YouTube Academy is amazing. Thank the Lord for it. Seriously, don't go to college. <laughs> Watch YouTube. The only time you go to college is if legally you need that simple paper to do what you God has called you to do. <laughs> That's my two cents. But if you also have something as you're listening to this podcast that you want to share that you're thankful for, please reach out. Love to hear it. Thankfulness is something that I know as humans doesn't come naturally. We all know that, especially with the modern news cycle that we're in. We regularly feel anger, frustration, <laughs> especially with the economy and certain political matters. But thankfulness is something we sometimes have to be intentional with. And I would recommend we take this month as we have this wonderful American holiday, by the way, that we have to celebrate thankfulness. And we can make that kind of a little bit more of a special thing for this month. But speaking of how amazing Idaho is with my thankful part there and returning to what I hinted to earlier this Saturday or last Saturday, depending, I guess, on when you guys are listening to this. I'm going over to the Crater Rings, which is about an hour's drive from Boise. The family and I will be going over there with Creations and Genesis Group. If you don't know about that, they are a group that do different field trips for homeschool families and different stuff where they take them out. I think I did one with them on the Oregon coast. I know they do the Grand Canyon. I think they I don't think they're only limited to the western part of the United States. They look through the lens of science, of creation, of geology, and all these different things through the lens of the creation story in Genesis and what that looks like from that perspective rather than an evolutionary perspective. But with that said, I will be definitely taking some footage of that. I'm hoping I got to check the airspace restrictions, but if there aren't any, I plan on flying the drone. So if you follow me over on Twitter, you will hopefully see some of that footage go up there here in the next week or two. And you can enjoy a little bit of my trip as well and that exploring of the beautiful state of Idaho. But in any case, let's move into the news stories. Starting off with our first one, and one that we will totally get through very quickly and without any disagreement, state election conversations. This comes by several sources. As we talked about last week, Tuesday was a big day for elections nationwide, especially in Idaho. Sadly, we can't view all of them, but here are the main ones, in particular in Boise, the Merrill race. Incumbent Lauren McLean secured her position for another term, defeating former police chief Mike Masterson and the two other candidates. 
candidates Joseph Evans and Aaron Reese. McLean led with a 55.4% of the vote, while Masterson had close but not enough 43.4% of the vote. Evans and Reese received less than 1% of the total vote. As for the Boise City Council race, District 1 and 6, the elections were canceled for those because only one candidate registered in each district. As a result, incumbent Lucy Willits in District 1 and Jimmy Hallie Burton in District 6 won re-election. In District 3 in Southwest Boise, Kathy Corliss emerged victorious in a close race. Moving a little bit more easternly over in Mountain Home, for the Mountain Home mayoral election, a runoff was required as no candidate received a majority of the votes. And in Idaho Falls, the city council race newcomer Kirk Larson won the council seat number three. And incumbent John Radford won council seat number five. All but to say there were a lot of races happening all over the state, but these are the ones that I chose to pick and talk about. If you're curious about the results of the races and there's one I didn't mention, there will be links down in the podcast description doc that we have there for you for you to look at the state's election results site with all of that said me and john here we were going to go open up the election results link that you guys will all have and we were just going to kind of glance over them here and kind of commentate on them john are you surprised at all by what happened with the boise merrill race i don't know man Thoughts? i mean i don't like mclean I'm I'm sad that she's going to be the governor again. But at the same time, I'm not surprised that Masterson didn't win. I mean, we talked about this last week. He had no positions. His position was, I'm not her. It's His position was anti-position. Right. And she wasn't... She actually had answers for things. Maybe answers that we as conservatives don't like, but at least she had answers and positions she stood on. Yeah. Well, so the thing is, is it worked for Biden when he went up against Trump in a national election where one, people care a lot more, and two, Trump was widely hated by Democrats. And so all you had to do was come out and say, I'm not him, and you would get all of the Democrats. And he was also hated by, by independents. And so you would get all of the all of the Democrats and then all of the independents and even some of the Republicans. And, and so that's why it worked then. But as much as I don't like McLean's policies, I don't know how how hated she is among independents. And so if she's not hated by independents, then, well, the fact that he won 43 percent of the vote, that looks like he won the Republican vote. And she won the Democrats and independents. Well, the tricky part, I mean, looking here just at the numbers to give people a little bit of context here when we're talking about this, because we're talking about percents, which percents are good. But looking at the total amount of actually what those percentages mean in numbers, Mike Masterson won 26,542 votes rather than McLean won 33,926 votes in total. So 61,184 people voted in the Boise mayoral race. That's a, that's a quarter of the population, 26%. A quarter of the population there, which that that is an argument to be said that there are certain people that maybe 
stood on the fences that independents weren't involved and you're just seeing purely the politically involved and the not politically involved. I mean, if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, the total amount of people to vote that he got 43, which that's not an ineffective campaign. If you're saying you got 43% of the vote compared to 55, that's, that's not a runaway race, shall we say. So there's, there's definitely people who don't like, you know, (laughs) McLean because Matt Masterson his whole campaign was anti McLean so if you're looking there and seeing those amount of votes I would argue most of those are purely anti McLean votes which should be a little bit of a warning shot across the bow so we'll see what goes on with that and as we're talking about these a good friend of mine mentioned that and I haven't gone and cross-checked this but he had an idea which it might be true I there again I haven't cross-checked it that you could look at most of the elections that were lost by conservatives and Democrats in the state, and you could see with a pretty high likelihood that the ones that were better funded, <laughs> that were had a greater amount of a war chest, shall we say, were the ones that actually won that election, which, if that is the case, there again, I'm putting the asterisk. I haven't gone out and like actually applied that theory and looked at it. If that's the case then as conservatives, as Republicans, people who want to be involved in their state, part of that also needs to be voting with your dollar, that you can go vote at the polls, but if that's true, and please out there go research that, and if I have some extra time, we will do that and talk about it next week, that vote with your dollars, vote with your money, or with your time if you can help these different candidates or different things in races that you care about, be it Republican, be it Democrat, be it uh, Libertarian or whatever, that you don't just vote, but you give them other resources to help them in their election because it goes a long, long way. Well, and that's the biggest difference, I think, right now between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, because the Democrats have courted the activist type person. Republicans don't really feel strongly about anything. We're more just kind of a to stay off my lawn and leave me alone kind of group. I, I remember having a conversation with my wife a long time ago, and and she got kind of upset with me because it was with regards to school choice and looking at that and the bill as written and the, the, the homeschool Idaho groups were saying, this is a bad bill. We, we need to vote against it. And I said, well, that's great. But our schools are failing and we need to solve the problem somehow. And so if your only solution is don't change, well, you're going to lose because clearly something needs to change. And the only people that are presenting a solution are the people that are typically on the left saying, well, this is clearly broken. So here's a solution. Let's go with this. And the people are on the right say, yeah, but don't change anything. And, and the don't change anything crowd that you're, you're going to lose. It, it's going to happen. And so that's where that's where my statement when I learned that that Masterson didn't win. It's like, well, yeah, because he did. He wasn't for anything. He wasn't giving a way forward. We clearly have problems. We have problems with housing. We have problems with 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 homelessness. We have problems with some drug nonsense. We have problems with our schools. We have problems in the state of Idaho. And if you're if your platform is I'm not her, well, you're not proposing solutions. You're you're not trying to solve problems. You're just trying to keep all the problems the way they are. And that's a losing strategy. 
That's a politically losing strategy. Politically, with politics, you're trying to take eternal principles and apply them to current problems and issues. And so if you're not actually applying those principles and they're coming up with solutions, right, actual positions that you're holding on things, well, then why are you even running for office? And, I mean... You, you can see that there's this changing in the Republican Party, I think, and there's a bit of tearing happening in the, at the same time. That there is the, I want to say old, but it's really not the traditional old, but it's what has been since I think about like the 90s I've heard and read about, maybe about the 80s of the Republican Party, the conservative party, which is this kind of like libertarian mindset that, you know, we, we build the space for people to be in, but we don't tell them how to do, what to do in the space type of mindset, right? Just t- cut taxes, make things affordable, but don't, don't deal on social issues. You know, we're all about the economics. Man is an economic person. Rather than the more traditional, I would argue, conservative stance and the Republican stance, if you look back, you know, at the founding with Lincoln and that really big break for the Republican Party there. And also just in general with current trends with Trump and DeSantis and Vivek and others kind of leading that pack in the party is an idea of no, no, that we believe there are objective truths. And if there are such a thing as objective truths and we believe that we are also rational human beings made in the image of a creator, then we can understand those objective truths. Are we going to get it right all the time? No, no way. That's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we don't then try to discover those eternal truths, those objective truths, right? And then apply those to policies with solutions and do things. Yeah. Yeah. But if, but if you don't stand for something, if you're not trying to solve problems, then all you're doing is holding up someone else from solving problems. Agreed. But with that said... That is our two cents on the Boise mayoral race. But just glancing over these, there was a bit of a close race for District 3 seat for the Boise City Council with Kathy Corliss and Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson got 32.68%. And as we talked about earlier, Kathy Corliss, she got 32.7%. So that one, I believe he is actually asking for a recount. Oh, because it's that close? Because it's that close. They're separated by next to nothing. Yeah, and you're talking you're talking decimals there. Yeah, so he lost by 15, which is, I'm trying to look it up if this article has it real quick. If the margin between the winner and loser is less than or equal to 0.1%, then it goes for an automatic recount. But this 15 votes is 0.19%, which means that the person requesting the recount has to pay for the recount. And it's a, it's $100 per precinct. There are 15 precincts. You would have to spend $1,500 to go recount the entire district. But also we're talking 15 votes. Like they might find that someone made clerical errors for 15 votes. His his statements make sense. He he's not he's not saying that anybody did anything wrong. He's just saying, hey, that's really close. We should double check that because it's really close, and I, I might win. Which is kind of it's it's a big deal. Also, when quoting an article here, I think KTVB seven said this, or maybe it was the Boise Dev. But as it stands right now, all the people, unless this gets changed 
that won Boise City Council seats were people that were endorsed by McLean. So unless this changes, she's going to have full control of the city council in that sense. Yep, it's going to be awesome. He would be the lone non-McLean person on the city council. Which could make for some really interesting news if we're looking through the lens of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know how much I like that. Yeah, you, you take what you get. But that'll be something interesting to watch and see what's going on there. But thank you for catching that, John. I, I was not aware of that going on. Well, that was something my wife actually brought up to me earlier tonight. She had she had caught wind of that and, and thought it was interesting, which it very much is. Well, now more people know because we can put it on the podcast and everyone can hear there it. There you go. Hopefully it'll travel a little further. That's right. Also, I know the Eagle Merrill race is, if I remember correctly, going to go into a runoff because two front contenders are 35% and 31%, and then there's another person that's like 26. And for the person to win the Eagle Mare, it has to be at least 50% of the total vote, which no one has. So that's going to go into a runoff from what I hear. Garden City also had a very close race for one of its city council seats there. James Page was 35.5% of the vote. Then behind him, Kent Rasmussen, I'm guessing. We got 34.64% of the vote. I'm guessing with that, since it's not a mayoral race, it's not going to be quite as tight. Cuna. Kuna really exploded there with Joe Steer getting 57.39% of the vote. So that was not close at all. I'm reading in a couple close races, but most of them were just blowouts. Star Mayor. That, that is crazy. Trevor H. Hadwick got 34.99% of the total vote of the mayoral race there. And then the Ada County Jail Bond. They needed 67.7% in favor for the vote to pass. There were 34.16% of total amount of people that were against it. 65.84% were in favor, so it was 1%-ish short of having enough votes to pass for that bond to get applied for the Ada County Jail, which would have been a bond issuing for $49 million for the purpose of helping with the jail and more space for inmates there. And I don't know how I feel about that. I I think... I've heard different so, sides of the argument. I, I'm on the fence as well. Right. So I voted against it. And my reasoning was this, is that if every time we need to upgrade something or change something, we do a ballot measure and we say, but it's only going to increase your taxes by $10 a year or $10 or whatever, some small incremental amount, that's great. But you do enough small incremental amounts and it becomes a big amount and quickly. And so I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's got to be other solutions. But then again, I, I don't know. That's, it's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, you've got taxes to do it. I do admit I was reading in a book, here again, my my love for reading, that it was talking about in the past that cities, what they would do is that they would publicly say, almost like an old-fashioned way of doing a GoFundMe, honestly. It's kind of funny to say it that way, but basically, where like the state would say, hey, this is the threshold we need for this new road. 
right? Say it's a road or freeway at the time, or maybe sawmill or whatever you want to say in the 18th century, right? And then they would say, once we reach that dollar amount, then we will start work on it. But we can't until we start on that. And then people basically would buy or buy slash give the state money for that project, kind of like a GoFundMe, until the quantity or the amount got great enough. And then the they could do the project. But people voted with their money if they actually wanted the project to be done. And if it never reached enough in the total funding from the public, from private funds, then it didn't happen. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, isn't that what bonds are, where you offer them for sale and people buy them for a return? It's it's kind of a long lost thing that you, you hear it about it a lot also in like World War II, like, you know, people, yeah, buy bonds to help the war or whatever. And I think it's something, especially my generation, I've had to learn it where like it's something that you knew. Yeah, war bonds or whatever, something that you read about in history, but you never understood like, wait, what does that mean? What does that do type of situation? <laughs> I've heard arguments both sides for the jail bond saying that, you know, the jail, it hasn't, I think, had an official full-on upgrade since 1990-something. Yeah, we did a story on that a couple a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's, been a, it's been a minute since that thing's been upgraded. So it's not like they're trying to get money for something that's already nice and shiny. It, it, it does, does need a little bit of help, especially with the population growth we've had in Ada County lately. But how to raise those funds, how to allocate those funds, that that can be a different matter entirely. With that said, we are going to need to move on here. I'd love to cover more stuff, but we just kind of did Ada County here because we're also running a little short on time. So we'll move on to our next story here. Governor appoints Cynthia Myers to Idaho Supreme Court. This comes by the Boise Dev by Gretchen Parsons. As we talked about a month ago about, a seat opened on the Idaho Supreme Court that needed to be filled. Well, that has now happened. Governor Brad Little has appointed District Judge Cynthia Myers to the Idaho Supreme Court, replacing Justice John R. Stegner, who retired at the end of October. Meyer has served as the administrative judge for the 1st Judicial District for the past eight years and she is said to be widely respected for her strong intellect, writing skills, and fairness. Her appointment will bring representation from North Idaho to the statewide Idaho Supreme Court. Meyer's legal career includes serving as a partner at the law firm James Vernon and Weeks PA in Coeur d'Alene and as an adjunct instructor at the North Idaho College. She completed her undergraduate studies at the College of Idaho and earned her law degree from from the University of Utah SG Quinney College of Law. In a statement, Meyer expressed her gratitude for the opportunity to serve on the Idaho Supreme Court and stated her commitment to upholding the law impartially. She also thanked Governor Little for his faith in her and for her family's support. Governor Little praised Meyer's qualifications and noted that her appointment would bring a valuable perspective to the Idaho Supreme Court. He also expressed his confidence in Meyer's ability to serve the state clearly. With all that said, Myers will finish the rest of Justice Sternger's term, which will expire in January of 2027. Which, I wish I could dig into this more. I am not a law person, so I can't give a whole ton of commentary on it, but it was definitely a main story I wanted to share with you all, because I think sometimes we sit here and we sweep under the rug when it comes to the court systems and the law systems and stuff. But I think for a lot of people, including myself, have kind of woken up to the fact that I th- the 
the Supreme Courts and the courts that exist in our land and our country, be it locally, be it nationally, have a, just as huge of effect on us as the House and the Senate and the, president, the presidency. And so it should be something that we should be aware of, that we should be watching, and that we should be involved in, just like anything when it comes to local events and different stuff, and especially with local politics. I wasn't able to do a huge background check back on her. I'm hoping to have that. I have that in my to-do list to see how she votes. Granted, I am kind of surprised that we haven't had someone from northern Idaho on the Idaho Supreme Court already, but better late than never. Yeah, so I don't know much about her, although, so I'm reading an article from the Idaho Freedom Foundation written by Wayne Hoffman. Wink, wink to them. Awesome stuff. Right? His... His thing here is that this is it's history making now because our Supreme Court is now majority female. So, yay, I guess. Meyer was recently engaged in a smackdown with conservatives on the board of North Idaho College. And it was Meyer that ruled that the NIC board improperly fired the school's previous president, Nick Swain, and ordered him reinstated. No doubt little takes some amount of joy in appointing someone that will instantly irk conservatives. So, hmm. I don't really know what that means. But it, it, it goes along with me thinking that I like... Governor Little even less than I did the last time I didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. Idaho Republican Party, please do not nominate him for the Republican ticket for running for governor again. Right, but here's the thing about the Republican Party. They're not actually conservatives. They're not actually a different party than the Democrats. When you start talking about the national organizations... They're actually just the same thing. So, yeah. Well, it's it's a tricky part where, here again, still learning local politics. For the record, I am not an expert. I'm just trying to learn and have you guys join me along the way here in the podcast. But as best I understand it with the Republican Party here in Idaho, the different district Republican parties that, you know, you are not districts, but county parties do have a considerable amount of say when it comes to that nominating process. But in Idaho, Republicans do get to kind of vote for the candidate they want to run as on the Republican ticket here in Idaho. And so a bit of that does land on Republican voters that if you really don't want Little or whoever, you know, or if you have a different person in mind, you want to be on that Republican ticket. Because basically in Idaho, you just need to get the R next to your name when you're running for governor or for some position. So half the fight is getting the R. If there's someone that you don't want to get the Republican or the R right there when they go run for their race, you need to go out for those different small elections, those Republican elections, and vote and be involved and say, no, I don't want this person. But if it's something in your county where you're going to your different county meetings for your Republican Party and you're talking to your different district representatives and saying, hey, don't vote that way. If you can vote, vote. Or in this case, going out, I did, and vote according to who you want to be the Republican ticket for governor in the next upcoming election, which I think that's going to be a little bit because it just happened like a year ago or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's interesting how politics works. 
at a at a local level, people might be conservative or might be liberal. But as soon as you get outside of a super local level, I have very little faith in the Republican Party. In any case, if you don't like the way that the Republican Party is going and you want to keep it accountable and bring it back to whatever values that you hold to, please get involved. Don't sit in the sidelines and say that the Republican Party's lost its way. Well, when was the last time you went to one of the meetings? When was the last time you were actually involved? Do you actually know who your precinct or district person is? Might want to start there and getting involved and having your voice heard in the party so it actually better mirrors your desire and how you want it to go rather than just voting on maybe the governorship and the presidential election because that's the bare minimum. And and while the governorship does do a lot and the presidency also does a lot, the things that really matter are the local elections that we just got smoke checked on. Yes, which I have no doubt there are a lot of Republicans and conservatives, including myself right now, that are taking some time to figure out how on earth did this all happen? <laughs> let's let's check our wounds here and uh, figure out and learn from our mistakes. I hope a lot of other Republicans are doing that. But moving out of politics and on to our next story here. Hooray! <laughs> so seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, in Idaho, uh, less likely than most states. So this comes from KTVB7 by staff. As winter approaches, many of us Idahoans will be bracing ourselves for the shorter days and colder temperatures. While these changes can be enjoyable for some, they can also trigger seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, a seasonal depression that affects millions of people worldwide. According to a recent report by Mattress Next Day, which analyzed weather data from all 50 states, Idaho ranks among the least likely states to experience SAD. The report considers factors such as the average amount of sunlight during winter months, temperature, and rainfall. Alaska, with its notoriously long and dark winters, topped the list of states most vulnerable to SAD. New York, Washington, Vermont, and Michigan followed closely behind. Idaho, on the other hand, receives some of the most sunlight in the country, with an average of 661 hours of sunlight annually. This abundance of sunlight coupled with our relatively mild winters, helps explain why Idahoans are less likely to suffer from SAD when compared to residents of other states. Despite Idaho's favorable climate, some individuals may still experience SAD symptoms during the winter months. I grabbed here the top 10 states that were most likely to deal with SAD, which before this, I had never heard this term. It was just that they were like, okay, there are certain people that the weather really affects them and there's certain people that don't. But, you know, we live in a modern age. We got to have a label for most things, which isn't a bad thing, but sometimes it seems overkill. Number one, as we talked about, Alaska having one of the worst cases or I guess regularities of SAD, then followed by New York at number two, Washington at number three, Vermont at four, Michigan at five, New Hampshire at six, Maine at seven, I could see that, Connecticut at eight, Wisconsin at nine, and then our neighbor to the west came in at number 10, Oregon, which is actually kind of surprising. Just a little bit of some change there. Well, yeah, but neither Washington nor Oregon surprised me because the West Coast gets lots of rain and lots of clouds up in the north. Now, you get down south in Southern California, and it's awesome. But the Northern Pacific Coast is 
I mean, it's beautiful, yes, but weather is not not great. I, so growing up in Michigan, I, I was there in middle school and high school, and it it was truly a thing. So I think I've said this before, but man, in Michigan, it hits it hits like September, October, and the clouds roll in, and the clouds don't roll out again until like March or April. Uh... Yeah, and it's it's gray. And Michigan and and Idaho were the same distance north from the equator. Is that longitude or latitude? Latitude. Think of a ladder. Latitude, because it's a ladder. See, yeah, I always forget. But anyway, we're at the same latitude. So uh, Michigan has the same long nights and and dark, but also cloud cover always. So think about when we get inversions here and everybody's like, Oh, the clouds. It's so depressing. <laughs> but then you like drop the level of the clouds so you can almost touch them. And then you put giant trees next to you so you can't see anything. That's that's Michigan for like, I don't know, five months out of the year. Yeah, it, it's terrible. And people will paint their houses, the interiors of their houses, the most bright and garish colors because it, it truly does offset some of those depressive tendencies. Well, I guess that might explain why Chicago and Detroit have gone the way they have. <laughs> in the well, crime levels in the state, maybe. <laughs> Different things. Yes, yes. Other factors. Yeah, there's there's also the, the model cities the model cities program, which that helped to really screw those places Spruce over. Things up. But it doesn't help that the the climate just sucks. I I had some friends, and if I haven't already men- mentioned it on the podcast here, they they moved over. They grew up here in Idaho for most of their life, and they moved to Michigan. And then they were there for a year or two, you know, 16, 17-year-old, you know, growing up most of their life in Idaho. And then they came back here to visit. And the first thing they said when I saw them back, they were just like, the sun. <laughs> it's so nice to have and ever since that experience and then hearing you talk about it, I might visit the the North, what's that, Midwest? Yeah, Midwest. But I don't plan on ever moving or staying or taking a job even if I could, especially when I have this podcast here in Idaho. And Idaho's amazing. Yeah, so my go-to line for most of the places that I've lived, actually all the places that I've lived at this point in my life, which that includes Virginia, Wisconsin, Michigan, New Mexico, Texas, and Idaho. Idaho is really the only one on that list that I would say, yeah, it's a great place to live. All of the others, I go, yeah, great places to visit, and then leave. <laughs> I, I remember I went on a road trip a couple of years back, and it was the first time I drove back to Nashville, Great place to visit, <laughs> keeping with that theme, John. But I remember my father, when I got back, he regu- he was kind of grilling me, being like, hey, 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 so, you know, did you find any place you might like, you know, because at the time I didn't know what I was doing career-wise, and he was like, is there a place you want to move to? And I could tell he's trying to fill me out for that. And I looked at him and I said, every other place did excel more in one area than Idaho, but the disadvantage is then it sucked more in another that maybe Idaho wouldn't that Idaho isn't always like the most amazing and everything like it just ah, but that like it's not extreme that like how would I give it a good example Colorado Springs when I was there visiting you know you got all this beautiful rock everywhere you got the garden of the gods there right 
and stuff and the climate when I was there for the period, which, you know, I'm not there for an entire year, was very nice and I enjoyed it. And it was just beautiful. But the drawback was it was always windy. Like we were there for like a week or two and it was just blowing constantly. And so you've got this beautiful environment and this beautiful temperature, but the wind is always blowing and that's driving me mad. Or when we were there in Nashville, everything's so green and so lush compared to Idaho. And I love it. And the growth and the age and, you know, driving or being out in the evenings in Tennessee or Nashville area is like something out of a, that you see in like postcards and books. It's gorgeous. But you pay for that with high humidity, just driving you bat loony all the time. There's constantly the drone of bugs and different things, and they're everywhere. Rather than Idaho, yeah, maybe it's not quite as green as Oregon or Washington or Nashville or something. But also, we don't have to deal with the humidity and vice versa, like my example with Colorado Springs. Yeah, maybe it doesn't have that pretty, as pretty of a rock formation as they do there, but at least... For most of the state, the wind isn't always constantly howling in such a way that you can't go out and really enjoy it. Yep. A lot of a lot of the same is also true of Albuquerque. I love Albuquerque. It's awesome. Also, it's a crime-ridden, festering crap hole of a place. <laughs> I'll let that stand where it is at, and we'll go on <laughs> to the next green thing. <laughs> green like no other. Idaho's floating golf course. This comes by the Boise Dev by Ann Daly. As usual, our last main story is the fun one. Nestled amidst the picturesque landscape of northern Idaho, the Coeur d'Alene Resort Golf Course boasts a unique feature that has captivated golfers worldwide, the world's first and only floating movable island golf green. This iconic 14th hole has become a legendary challenge and a testament to the ingenuity of golf course design. The floating green, weighing a staggering 2,200 tons, is strategically positioned on the tranquil waters of the Coeur d'Alene Lake. Its precise location can be adjusted via an intricate underwater cable system, allowing for varying distances from the tee. This dynamic element adds an extra layer of excitement and challenge to the game, testing the skill of golfers of all levels. To reach the floating green, golfers can board an electric-powered shuttle boat, providing a scenic and memorable journey to their next shot. The green has undergone several renovations over the years, ensuring it remains in top condition for every swing. The floating green's allure lies not only in its novelty, but also in the element of risk and reward that is introduced into the game. A successful landing on the island is met with applause and admiration, while a miss sends the ball plummeting into the depths of the lake, joining thousands of lost treasures retrieved by divers each season. The inspiration for this extraordinary golf course emerged from a simple observation, a very Idaho observation, I will say. A man walking his dog along the shores of the Coeur d'Alene Lake, captivated by the sight of a tugboat towing a raft of logs. This fleeting moment sparked an idea that would transform the golfing landscape forever. Since its debut in 1991, the floating green has become a defining feature of the Coeur d'Alene Resort Golf Course, attracting golfers from around the globe eager to experience its unique challenge. It stands as a testament to the power of imagination and the ability to create something remarkable in golf. Which, have you done a lot of golfing, John, by any chance? So I am not a golfer. Golf is one of those sports that I love to hate, but... Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's a, I, I hate it. It's actually not a sport. It's an activity. Oh, come on. No, not a sport. 
Oh, I'm not going to try to go after that. <laughs> Don't, because I, I, I have a whole litany of arguments. I, I, that, that's one that I do enjoy arguing. <laughs> I'm not I, I'm not equipped for this. I will come into Vietnam later when I have the gear. Right? No, I, I'm, I am. Dude, I've, I've got tunnels everywhere for this one. Uh, yeah, golf is not a sport. <laughs> it's an activity. But this is one that I would probably enjoy going to see and, and playing the activity of golf at this course, because this just sounds really cool. I know. I I was sitting there doing research for the podcast and I came across and I'm like, I got to talk about this. I got to talk about this. this is so cool, especially the engineering that went into it. And then also, like I mentioned while I was reading the script, such an Idahoan way to explain. How did you come up with that idea, Bill, for that floating golf course thing? Oh, I was just walking my dog one day in the morning. I had my coffee with me. <laughs> right. And I saw a tugboat going past pulling logs from up north. And then I thought, wait a second, what if I could land a golf ball? And then it all came from there. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love the ridiculousness of it. It's just, it, it's very Idaho through and through. And on that point, I, if it wasn't for money reasons, I would actually do more golfing because personally it fits some of my favorite activities together into one thing, which is, <laughs> I, as you know, John, I think, if I remember correctly, I love gardening and I love plants. It is uh -huh. a hobby of mine that my grandparents and my family genes, I swear, have put into me. <laughs> I love to garden and grow things. And so whenever, even if it's a place I don't garden or stuff, when I go to a really nice garden or a golf course, I'm just in heaven because I can see all the work that went into it, all the yep. trimming, all the care, all the pruning that that tree's form was just perfect. You can tell that it wasn't bad and then it was made great. No, from the beginning, it was molded and perfectly sculpted. And when you get into a golf course like that, I love it. It's so pretty. I love talking. Obviously, I have a podcast that's uh, pretty self-explanatory there. And then also I enjoy walking, if that makes any sense. I enjoy doing that. Uh -huh. And so golfing kind of pulls all those things together. It gives me an activity to do something. But then that activity doesn't limit my ability to talk, which is my main pet peeve with a lot of activities. It drives me mad. There's some things people are like, oh, let's go do this. I'm like, oh, cool. So you don't want to talk. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm not hanging out with you. I'm not talking to you. I need to be able to talk. I can't talk and have a conversation with you. What good is the activity? But I get to talk, I get to do a sport, and then I get to be out in this beautiful, well-manicured course. All of it just is amazing. And, you know, you can do it when you're old, which I think is an amazing thing. It's a sport that isn't limited by age like football is. All of these are wonderful points, all except when I when I do sport or activities. Typically, I don't want to talk, so. What? You don't want I know. to talk. No, man. <laughs> I, I, am, I am very much okay not just not talking ever. Hey, you are with the vast majority of humanity. I am in the minority. I know this. <laughs> or at least the vast minority. Well, I don't I don't know. I I'd say there are a lot of people that go both ways, but yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, within guys, I think, because most of the guys, I mean, you know, growing up and stuff, they, they wanted to, I, I go to sit and there and I want to talk. I want to talk about history. I want to talk about something. And, you know, if you want to play a game, then cool, we can play a game, but I got to be able to talk to you. But most guys are like, no, I don't want to talk. I want to go. I want to do the cool thing. Let's go do the dirt bikes. Let's go, you right. know, let's do the football. Let's do the sport. Let's be competitive. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. But like, at the end of the day, when I get done with that, I had those memories of doing it with you, but I don't actually know you any better because I didn't talk to you. All I know is that you're really good at throwing that ball that distance, if that makes sense. That's true. But the, th but the thing about it is, is that the, the relationships are formed after the activity. 
I played on a on an ultimate frisbee team for a couple seasons and I didn't really start getting to know the people until I started going to the after party at the local bar where we would drink an unconscionable amount of beer because it was a bunch of college <laughs> students and a couple of us old old guys and they quickly learned that I could drink and so every time oh, they'd no. come out with a pitch would be like John more beer. I'd be like, sure, fill up my cup again. <laughs> and <laughs> oh no, it sounds like something out of a German story. Oh my gosh, I drank a lot of free PBR. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> so, but but because because of the blood, sweat, and tears that went on on the field, then we took that rivalry and camaraderie and the fact that we all beat beat on each other. You take it back to the bar, and then you have a good time at the bar. So, like, there's. You know, there's there's value, I think, to team sports as well, even if you're not able to talk while you do them, because then you 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 form those you form some amount of relationship and then you can take that that little bit of relationship and grow it elsewhere. I guess that's fair. Maybe my experience was tainted by the fact of immature <laughs> people, maybe where that it was chronically they wanted to do the sport and there was never that like after party type of situation that then could foster that, which just a level of, I guess, of immaturity there. And who knows, maybe as I get older, I'll find some sport of stuff. I know right now, the closest I could say to be that is I regularly do different dances and stuff and have groups that I do that with. And that, that's, that's enjoyable. You have the dance and then you use the dance can be a good way. I swear it's like one of the best ways for social lubricant because you're literally like physically touching other people. And then after that, it's not weird to then go up and like talk to them because you're like, well, I've already danced and held your hand and you've held mine and <laughs> everything. And so it, it helps conversation so much better, in my opinion, when you do it that way. Yeah. No, dancing. Dancing is very much a good activity. But with that said, podcast is already, I know, going to be very long. So let's move on to the quickies here and see if we can wrap this up for all the ladies and gentlemen out of there that have a busy schedule ahead of them. Starting off with our first quickie here and just a wonderful note to start on. Chronic wasting disease detected in mule deer near New Meadows. This comes by KTVB7 by Hector Mendez. The Idaho Department of Fish and Game has reported the first positive case of chronic wasting disease, or CWD, of the fall of 2023 hunting season, a mule deer near New Meadows. This marks the first known case of CWD outside of the Riggins area, where the disease was first detected in Idaho in 2021. To recap, for those who don't know what CWD is, it is a contagious and fatal neurological disease that affects deer, elk, and moose. There's currently no cure or vaccine for CWD and no reliable live test for wild animals. Idaho Fish and Game is urging all hunters participating in deer and elk hunts between New Meadows and Council to have their animals tested for CWD. Hunters can take the head of their harvested deer or elk to any regional fish and game office for sampling. They are also asking for people to report any deer or elk killed on Highway 95 between Riggins and Weezer or any deer that appear to be sick to their regional office. Idaho Fish and Game will be providing an update on the situation at a meeting scheduled for November 14th and 15th in Lewiston. 
But coming back to that more happy note I alluded to earlier there, popular craft fair returns to Idaho Falls in time for holiday shopping. This comes with the East Idaho News by Brittany Johnson. The Fall Bazaar Craft Fair is returning to Idaho Falls this month just in time for the holiday shopping. This event will occur at the Bonnerville High School on November 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. and is free for the public. The craft fair features over 100 vendors with various homemade items, including women's and children's fashion, Christmas decor, home goods, treats, and stocking stuffers for those that still do those. Wonderful tradition. There will also be food trucks outside and food available for purchase inside. Organizer Haley Roberry encourages community members to attend the craft fair and support local vendors. She said that the event has become a family tradition for many people and is a great way to find out about unique gifts for the holidays. Keeping with events here, this one being a little less glamorous, ITD to host public meeting on upcoming Highway 95 improvements. This comes by the Bonner County Daily Bee by Lauren Reichenbach. The Idaho Department of Transportation is hosting a public meeting on November 16th to gather input for residents on its upcoming plans for the Highway 95 between DeFort Road and Lakeshore Drive in Sagal. The meeting will be held at the Northern Lights Incorporated office located at 421 Chevy Street in Sagal from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. ITD staff will be available to answer questions and provide information on the proposed plans. The department is seeking input from residents on a number of issues, including the need for additional lanes, the need for improved safety features, the need for better access for business and attractions. ITD is also encouraging residents to submit comments electronically through its website from November 17th to the 30th. The proposed improvements to Highway 95 are part of ITD's ongoing effort to address the traffic congestion and safety concerns on state highways. And then coming back to more fun festive events, new winter market hosted by the Silver Valley Chamber. This comes by the Shoshone News Press by Josh McDonald. The Silver Valley Chamber of Commerce is hosting a new event called the Evening Winter Market, a one-night-only community gathering in Uptown Kellogg, featuring local vendors and craftspeople selling homemade and homegrown goods. The event will also include activities for kids and refreshment for all ages, such as letters to Santa table and a hot cocoa bar. The market will be held at the Radio Brewing in their historic Fire Hall building. The chamber is currently planning for roughly 15 vendors, but can potentially fit a few more in if anyone is interested in jumping in last minute. The Silver Valley Chamber's Evening Winter Market is Saturday, November 11th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., at the Radio Brewing Fire Hall, located at 29 West Market Avenue in Kellogg. For more information, contact the Silver Valley Chamber at 208-784-0821. And moving on to the stage here, 6th Street Theater's Arsenic and Old Lace Comedy Play. This comes by the Shoshone News Press by Josh McDonald. The 6th Street Theater is once again presenting the classic black comedy Arsenic and Old Lace this time directed by theater icon Paul Roberts. The show will run from November 3 to 19, with Friday and Saturday shows starting at 7 p.m. and Sunday shows beginning at 2 p.m. The play, originally written in 1939, tells the story of Mortimer Brewster and his eccentric family, including his two spinster aunts who have a dark secret. The show is set in pre-World War II Brooklyn, New York, and features a cast of both theater veterans and newcomers to the stage. Roberts has a special connection to the play, having played the role of Mortimer 20 years ago under the direction of 6th Street founder Cheryl Grounds. 
He wanted to honor Grounds' memory by directing the show this year. With three separate acts, Arsenic and Old Lace is a bit more challenging to produce than most of the shows that are performed at 6th Street. However, Roberts is confident that he and his cast have created a spectacle that audiences will love. Quote, If by the time our play is finished, while watching this strange band of players play-acting on stage, you have briefly escaped the stress of the day, laughed a few times at what we did well, graciously giggled when it didn't go well, and had even the slightest wish of, I want to do that, then we have accomplished our goal, Robert said. Tickets for Arsenic and Old Lace can be purchased online at www.theonstage.tickets 6th street melodrama. Speaking of community things, we come to the community library network facing possible litigation. Look, wonderful transition here. This comes by the Coeur slash Post Falls Press by Devin Weeks. The Community Library Network, or CLN, Board of Trustees, is facing a potential litigation over its proposed revisions to the library's material selection policy. The policy, which is still in draft form, to be sure, has been criticized by some for its potential to restrict access to certain materials, particularly those that may be considered harmful to to minors. One of the main concerns surrounding the proposed policy is a lack of transparency and public input during the revision process. Critics argue that the board has been unwilling to engage in open discussion about the policy and has not provided adequate opportunity for public comment. In response to these concerns, former CLN trustee Regina McCree has sent a letter to the board of trustees warning them that their actions could result in litigation. McCree has also expressed concerns about the board's lack of justification for revising the policy as there have been no reports with the problem with the current policy. The CLN Board of Trustees has stated that they will continue to work with legal counsel and staff before adopting a final policy. They've also said that they will provide an opportunity for public comment during their next meeting on November 16th. Then moving on to the next one here. This is a story that I've actually been tracking for a little bit, and it's kind of an interesting one playing out here. New Plymouth Mayor Rick York released from jail on a 75,000 bond. This comes by KTVB7 by staff. New Plymouth Mayor Rick York is back at work after being released from jail on a $75,000 bond. He was charged with one felony count of aggravated battery and two misdemeanor charges after police said he shot his son on November 2nd. York returned to work on Monday, November 6th, and attended the New Plymouth City Council meeting. The meeting was brief, lasting only about 15 minutes, and there was no mention of York's current legal situation. Police said that York and his son Jacob got into an argument on November 2nd, and York admitted to shooting his son. Jacob was taken to the hospital with a non-life-threatening injury. A status conference has been set for York on November 13th, and a preliminary hearing could be held the following day. So, moving back into Ada County, Ada County homeowners to see property tax savings. This comes from KTVB7 by staff. Well, good news for Ada County homeowners. The Ada County Treasurer's Office has announced that homeowners in the county will see credits and savings on their 2023 property tax bills. The bills will be sent out by November 27. Quote, this is 100% thanks to the Idaho legislature, who chose to help taxpayers across the state lower their property tax bill, end quote, said Ada County Board Chairman Rod Beck. Most of the savings apply to owner-occupied homes, and some people could be saving several hundred dollars. Quote, property owners in Ada County and around the state asked the legislature to provide relief from rising property taxes at a time when inflation keeps cutting into everyone's savings and discretionary spending. 
end quote, said Ada County Commissioner Tom Daly. Quote, we congratulate the legislature on this tax relief and look forward to collaborating with lawmakers to keep taxes low while providing essential services for everyone in Ada County, end quote. The treasurer's office stated that exact savings amounts will be listed on each bill. For more information, people can go to adacounty.id.gov. Speaking of money things, and definitely not a savings, but a big cha-ching, $45 million project to upgrade Idaho Falls Regional Airport. This comes by the Boise Dev. By Don Day, the Idaho Falls Regional Airport, the state's second busiest airport at that, is set for a significant transformation with an 18,000-square-foot expansion project. The project will commence early next year and will conclude in the year 2026, involving a $45 million investment and is expected to enhance the travel experience for passengers. The expansion will include upgrades to ticketing and the central lobby areas, the replacement of the baggage system, and improvements to the airport's infrastructure. The project aims to provide a more modern and effective travel hub for the region. Despite the ongoing construction, the airport will remain operational throughout the project, ensuring that travel plans are not disrupted. This ambitious expansion project is poised to elevate the Idaho Falls Regional Airport to new heights, further solidifying its position as a key transport hub in Idaho. So staying on the east side of the state, we got Polar Bear Eats Awakens from Hibernation. This comes by the East Idaho News by Kamala Hines. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the Polar Bear Drive-In was coming back after an 18-year slumber. The grand opening on Friday was met with eager crowds and enthusiastic anticipation, with Eli Bumgarner claiming the title of the first official diner. Bumgarner, a local resident, couldn't resist the temptation and arrived at Polar Bear Eats on his bicycle at 6 a.m., hours before the 11 a.m. grand opening. His dedication was rewarded with a bacon cheeseburger, fries, and a vanilla shake, which he rated a perfect 10 out of 10. The limited menu for Friday's grand opening offered a sneak peek of the classic American fare that Polar Bear Eats will serve, including burgers, fries, milkshakes, and other diner staples. But the festivities continued on Saturday, marking the official start of full-scale operations. Ashley Brinton, chief of staff at Hemley Ventures, the company behind Polar Bear Eats' revival, expressed the team's excitement about becoming part of Preston's vibrant community. Quote, We're just excited to be part of Preston and the awesome community, Brinton said. A lot of us are from here, and we just love it. We're just excited to open Polar Bear's doors. End quote. The return of Polar Bear Eats signals a new chapter for the iconic Preston landmark, aiming to restore its reputation as a beloved gathering spot for the community. And closing us out here with a kind of scary but also good story to hear over there in eastern Idaho, Madison Memorial Hospital thwarts cyber attack. Patient's data is safe. This comes by the East Idaho News by Kamala Hines yet again. Madison Memorial Hospital in Rexburg successfully thwarted a cyber attack that targeted the hospital system. The attack is believed to have occurred over the weekend, but due to previously active safety measures and the quick response of the hospital's IT department, patients' health and financial information were not compromised. As a precautionary measure, the hospital completely shut down its systems, which has resulted in some systems being temporarily unavailable, as one can guess. The hospital is working to restore full functionality to all systems as quickly as possible, something that we talked about a few months back when there was a 
similar cyber attack over in eastern Idaho. Cyber attacks on hospitals are becoming increasingly common as healthcare organizers are seen as prime targets for hackers due to the sensitive nature of the information they store. In response to this growing threat, Madison Memorial Hospital and other hospitals have joined forces to share security measures and methods to counteract these attacks. Thank you for listening to the entire podcast. I sincerely hope you found it enjoyable and valuable. If I missed any important points or provided incorrect information, please feel free to reach out to us via email at localyokelidaho2022 at gmail.com or on Twitter by tweeting me at localyokelidaho. With the small team we have here, we're not able to cover everything, but we do our best to cover the most interesting and important stories. Thank you for your continued support and assistance. That's all for now. I wish you a fantastic rest of your week. Godspeed. Thank you.